As a Marine, I used to have the graveyard patrol shift at the Beirut Bombing Memorial. Part of the memorial is dedicated to a veteran's cemetery. Oddly enough, I never got freaked out being completely alone in a remote cemetery in the middle of the night, surrounded by dense woods on all sides. To be honest, it was actually kind of peaceful. However, one night I was patrolling near the perimeter fence, where some of the oldest headstones are, when I heard the sound of a woman humming. I followed the sound and noticed a light glowing through the vines and brush of a large tree. As I approached, I could literally feel my hair beginning to lift, as if there was an electric current in the air. I pushed aside the brush and what I saw nearly took my breath away. It was an old, weathered headstone with a large cross etched into the marble. Only the cross was glowing a bright, vivid blue, like a neon bulb. The humming was also suddenly much louder and had a weird plurality to it, like it was coming from hundreds of voices at once. Needless to say, I freaked out. I screamed like a scared little girl and sprinted back to the parking lot. I radioed the guard who was supposed to relieve me and forced him to come early, then spent the rest of my shift in the cab of his truck. I don't think he believed me, but he stayed in his truck and didn't go out on patrol until the sun was fully up. A few days later, I worked up the nerve to return to the grave, during the day, of course. As I suspected, in the light of day, it was a completely mundane headstone. There was no name, only the aforementioned cross. I ran my hands over the stone and checked to see if maybe there was some sort of hidden light source or solar panel, but no, it was just plain, solid, unremarkable stone. The humming was gone, too. I eventually returned to my normal shift, but never again experienced anything out of the ordinary. I never learned whose grave that was, either, but I find myself thinking about it from time to time. It certainly sounds absurd when I say it out loud, and I suppose it could have been a hallucination or a trick of my tired brain, but I don't believe it was. I think it was real, a ghost or spirit of some sort, but I don't think it was malevolent at all. I was by myself in the engine room of a submarine on the mid-watch, just a newly reported sailor trying to find equipment so I could display knowledge to one of the watchstanders. There are a number of bays in the engine room lower level with narrow passages that pass through the center. I came down one of the ladders, and I swore I saw someone walking across the ship about 15 feet in front of me. I could hear his footsteps as he walked around a corner and out of sight. Three problems one. He was wearing utility, an older light blue blouse, and dark navy slacks. Nobody has utilities anymore. They had been phased out three years earlier. Two. There was only one other person awake in the engine room that late at night, and he was standing at the top of the ladder behind me, waiting for me to come back up with an answer to his question. Three. He wasn't actually there. I wrote it off as sleep deprivation, but I'll admit it shook me for a while. Fast forward to four months later, when I went out to sea with another submarine of the same type. While I was there, I met a sailor who had previously served on my ship. After a few weeks of standing watch with him, he told me a story of a sailor who had committed suicide while on watch when he served on my ship almost a decade earlier. In the engine room, lower level. In his service he wish I could have gotten a picture of the look on my face. I'm sure it was the definition of disbelief. This is my dad's story. After he was done in Vietnam, he was soon stationed at an Air Force base in Greenland. They had bad blizzards often there, and when they came through, the base shut down and every section of the barracks would take roll call. These blizzards are intense. There were cables running between all the buildings, you were attached to your person with a carabiner, so if there was a sudden whiteout, you didn't get lost and die. They had people die literally 20 meters from the shelter because they got lost in bad weather and froze. He said for about 5 months, every time they locked down for the weather, they would hear horrendous screaming outside. Everyone was accounted for, so they didn't risk sending anyone out to investigate. They wrote it off as an animal. However, 
Every time this was heard, the engine room would be wrecked. Tools were strewn across the floor, tables and toolboxes were knocked over, and a several thousand pound jet engine was lifted from its workbench crane and smashed nearly 30 feet away. The hangars and engine room had cameras covering every single possible entrance with spotlights that made them clear even in a whiteout. No animals, no people, no anything was ever seen entering or leaving those buildings. Then one day, it just stopped. Edit, okay, since I have a lot of debate on what could have caused this, I will clear some stuff up. This was not something they just shrugged at. It cost a lot of money and threw a wrench in at least one surveillance routine, which caused a lot of brass from the DOD and the CIA to breath fire down the base commander's neck. This facility, beyond military function, served as a base for a lot of civilian research as well. There was a full investigation using all manner of scientists, engineers, and specialists. They came up with no satisfactory explanation for what was happening. I do not believe in the paranormal, nor did my father. This is the only spooky type story he has from 22 years in the service. No one knows what happened. It was very strange in every way. Hundreds of people wrote reports and documented this. It wasn't just some grease monkeys scratching their heads and randomly guessing. That said, I spoke to my mom. She told me a couple of things I missed. On one of these occasions, the U2 in the shop had all its electronics turned on. Many of the systems in this plane were specially built for this airframe and this particular cruise mission. These systems were complex and archaic. Very few people knew how to operate this machinery, and the only ones on base that could were two engineers and its crew. It wasn't a simple matter of hitting power buttons and flipping switches from off to on. Another time, three barrels of hydraulic fluid vanished and were never found. They doubted the screaming noise was wind because it came in short, irregular bursts and the winds never produced those sounds again. They theorized it was a polar bear but, if it was, its coincidental timing was extremely uncanny. Lastly, Control picked up a bunch of weird interference and anomalous readings that, again, had the uncanny timing of happening only when this was going on. They were never able to reproduce these errors in a controlled manner. Edit 2, okay, since I am still getting a stream of people saying I believe this was something supernatural or aliens or something. Now, what I am saying is that the best possible explanation is that a series of many unrelated, unlikely, and unreproducible events came together in an also unlikely manner that left no satisfactory explanation for what was going on. The screaming was thought to be from a polar bear or something. The radar glitches were thought to be due to moisture but left no obvious signs. The barrels were most likely the result of an inventory error. Etc., etc., etc. However, even with this all in mind, the chances of all these events coming together in this manner, by sheer coincidence, are astronomical. So no one was willing to say anything with certainty, thus no satisfactory answer and writing it off as an act of God. It's creepy, it's bizarre, but it's not supernatural, and the answer isn't simply it's the wind. For more info, see my replies to others about the construction of the place, the cameras, etc. My dad's stories he served in the Taiwanese Marines as a drill sergeant. Much of the ground in Taiwan saw violence under occupation, and it was rumored that his base was built on or near a mass grave. Needless to say, he's had a few paranormal stories. He had a guy report to him in the morning, exhausted but frazzled. The night before, he had been on guard duty, overlooking the firing range. The targets on the range were a mix of clay and wood figures, cut and drawn to look like an enemy soldier aiming a rifle at you. According to the guard, when he'd been bored out of his mind staring out over the range, he saw clearly as day one of the clay soldiers wearily lay down his rifle and exclaimed damn, I'm tired, the guard said he passed out from 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Fright. During the evening, when training was over, the sergeants, for the most part, had the time to themselves. My dad liked to go snake hunting at dusk, when the heat was rising from the ground and the snakes came out of their holes. So one evening, he sets out, carrying a bag, a nice long stick, and a flashlight. As he was making his way across the field, zigzagging in a search pattern, he found himself getting closer and closer to an old, decrepit outhouse that had been abandoned as it was too far from the main base. As he got within a few yards of it, he was hit with a sudden feeling of apprehension. Something told him going near the outhouse was a bad idea. At that moment, his flashlight, aimed right at the construct, went out. He fiddled with the battery, smacked it, thought, damn, better get a new battery, and turned around to head back. The moment he turned and faced the main base, the flashlight flickered back on. Great, time to keep hunting. The moment he turned to face the outhouse, it flickered off again. Faced with the base, it flickered on. He did this two or three times, got the message, verbally apologized for intruding, turned and walked calmly back to base. The base itself was surrounded by forest and mountains, the natural terrain of Taiwan. One day, a soldier was reported missing, as the day went on, it was clear that he'd either deserted or was in serious trouble. A manhunt-slash-rescue team was organized and most of the base was out searching for the guy as the rain started to come in. As night fell, they called it off, and got ready to try again tomorrow. They found him in the morning, huddled in a wet, dark cave, scared, speechless and out of his mind. No one was sure what he saw to cause him to freak out, and they never found out, they shipped the guy out soon afterwards. Finally, during one of his years on the base, it was hit by a huge typhoon. Typhoons are pretty regular in Taiwan, especially during the summer, but this one was going to set records. Everyone hunkered down and reinforced the base as best they could, and it held well. After days of relentless rain and wind, they emerged to survey the damage. One of the trees on the base had been hundreds of years old, it sat on a hill and overlooked the base, and so had been the site of a Buddhist shrine set at its roots. The roots twisted and turned into the air, the storm had torn the tree from the ground. And yet, the shrine itself was untouched, even the red silk covering, with nothing weighing it down, hadn't moved an inch despite the winds that had finally torn the great tree from its hill after hundreds of years. The soldiers took this as a sign that, despite whatever might be thrown against them, their spirit would remain strong and unmoved. I was working the night shift in an old military complex that was originally built back in the 50s. I was starting to feel sleepy, so I went for a walk to wake myself up and ended up getting lost in the maze of underground tunnels, finding myself in a part of the complex that obviously hadn't been used in decades. Everything looked like it was just left there and forgotten one day, eerily frozen in time. I was extremely tired and stressed out from work and that really didn't help me to be able to rationally retrace my steps. Everything around me seemed like something was hiding in the shadows and watching me. It took a long time, 
but I finally made it back to my position and didn't tell anyone what happened. Luckily, it was the night shift and no one noticed I was gone. A year later, we got a new guy, and in the middle of the night shift, he got up and went for a walk. A couple of hours later, he came back looking like he'd seen a ghost. I just gave him a knowing nod, and he knew I knew exactly what he had just gone through. Navy. When I was in Groton, Connecticut, for basic enlisted submarine school, I was roving the barracks at night. I had a UI, under instruction, so I was showing him the ropes. What to check and how to check. It was mainly fire extinguishers and secured doors. On the second or third floor of the barracks, there is a recreation room with a TV, chairs, and a piano. Mind you, everyone was asleep and it was two in the morning. Well, I decided to go and see if I remembered how to play the piano a little. We decided to continue to finish the patrol, so we started walking down the hall when we heard a single piano note go off. We both heard it while I was in mid-conversation, so we kind of looked back, and then we both looked at each other to see if we both had heard the same noise. We shrugged it off as our imaginations running wild. But as soon as we got to the end of the hall and opened the door to the stairway, a sharp key note was heard coming from down the hall in the direction of the room with the piano. We left the floor as soon as possible and later shared the story with some shipmates, and they told us stories of sailors that had died in the barracks. Submariner here. There are few things as unnerving as wondering about the engine room from 2330 to 530 alone on watch. When the boat is largely shut down in port, it becomes a very quiet place. The roving watches usually make it an hourly game to speed through their log rounds, especially in the lower levels. One particular port period, the boat was moored in Pearl Harbor, and a few people started complaining about a real uneasy feeling. I was on the mid-watch as the SEO in the evening and a senior chief came back to do his required three-tour. We saw him walk past us maneuvering on his way to the shaft alley. This particular senior chief was the crusty old salt type, and would usually spend a bit of time just sitting in the lower levels of the engine room alone contemplating life, so we expected as much. What we didn't expect was for him to literally run into the maneuvering area a few minutes later. The man was pale-faced and breathing heavily. We sat up straight, our eyes as wide as our thoughts, thinking we were about to have to announce and fight some ship casualty. He slumps into the Edo chair. A few tense, and silent, moments go by. We're on pins and needles. He finally opens his mouth and tells us about the ghost in Shaft Alley. Swears a sailor passes by him as he's sitting on a trash can in Shaft Alley. His first response was to call out to the guy and see who it was. But then he realized this guy isn't dressed right. He describes what this guy was wearing, the old World War II naval uniforms. So he quickly gets up to catch up to the guy, and he does. Catches up to him all the way back. The guy turns towards the senior chief. It looks right at him. Then he turns away and literally walks through the back end of the boat. It's now that the senior chief decides it's time to leave Shaft Alley, and promptly does so. He swears up and down that he knows what he saw. I sure as hell wasn't about to leave maneuvering that night to find out for myself. One of my drill sergeants actually has a creepy story from one of his Afghanistan deployments. He was infantry, so being in the field and out of missions for multiple weeks wasn't uncommon. One night, while sleeping in a fighting position he dug, he felt something nibbling at his feet. He woke up and kicked it off, and what he saw wasn't any type of marsupial but a little humanoid figure that he could only describe as looking just like Gollum. But being in the field with little sleep, he chalked it up to just seeing things. A couple days later, he and another guy were on watch and the other guy pointed out something and said what the F is that? And pointed at a stone wall in the distance. My drill sergeant looked through these binoculars and, crawling across the top of this stone wall, 
was the exact little humanoid creature he encountered a few nights before. As a pilot embarked upon a naval vessel in the Red Sea, my job was to protect merchant vessels from boat-borne IEDs and surface-to-surface -surface missiles from the lovely country of Yemen, which is going through a nasty civil war. We would fly ahead of any vessel that we were assigned to protect and look for anything unusual, and if need be, neutralize the threat, fortunately we never had to engage anything. At the southern end of the Red Sea, the distance between the African continent and the Middle Eastern Peninsula gets very small, forming the Straits of Bab al-Mandab. It was very common to see small boats darting back and forth from Djibouti to Yemen and vice versa. That year, there was a severe famine going on in Somalia, and many Somalis were trying to escape. Many would pay smugglers to take them by boat to Yemen. What they didn't realize is that Yemen is even worse than Somalia due to the civil war. Not only were people starving to death in Yemen, but cholera outbreaks were common, and to top it off, the violence there was unbelievable, even by Somali standards. So these poor refugees would end up in Yemen and basically be like, wow, this is even worse than where I came from. We need to get out of here ASAP. The ones that could afford it would then hire another smuggler to take them from Yemen to Eritrea or any country on the African side north of Yemen with the ultimate goal of making it to the Mediterranean. While flying, we would come across large rickety boats with low freeboards loaded to the brim with people. Anytime my helicopter got within a few miles of them, they would stop their boat and all raise their hands, clearly out of fear. I would always try to give them plenty of room, as long as they were not headed towards any of our ships, to show I meant them no harm. The freeboard was so low on their boats that they were hard to see visually, and sometimes our radar would have trouble picking them up, especially in rough seas, and we would accidentally fly over them, causing them to panic. Overall, I just tried to leave them be and show we meant them no harm. I had a job to do, and unfortunately, there was nothing I could do to help them. One time, However, one of these vessels loaded with refugees was headed directly towards our convoy of ships. It was a very unique looking boat, with unusual colors for that region. It's very memorable looking. They were several miles away, and from my position in the air, backed up with radar, I could see they were on a direct collision course. It was clear they did not know nor could see that there was a convoy of warships headed towards them. They did not have radios on these boats, so the only way to communicate with them was to fly close to them, hoping they would change course. As expected, every time we orbited them, they would stop and put their hands up. I would give them some distance and they would continue on their collision course. After a few attempts at getting them to change course, they either got the message or saw the convoy and made a 90-degree turn that steered them well clear of our ships. With that, I moved on and let them be. Of note, we record every interaction we have with foreign vessels through our forward-looking infrared camera. Fast forward two days later, I'm browsing the internet, and come across an article on CNN International. The article talks about an unknown helicopter targeting a boat filled with refugees in the Red Sea, killing dozens of them. Then there was a picture of the boat filled with bullet holes and dried blood. I looked at the picture and instantly got a sinking feeling in my stomach. The boat looked similar to the one I had orbited several days earlier. I immediately went and pulled the tape from that flight and found the interaction with the boat. My heart sank as I confirmed my fears. The boat in the article was the same boat I saw several days earlier. These people were not bothering anyone and were just trying to make a better life for themselves and their children. To this day, I do not know what helicopter targeted them. There were many countries operating in that area. I doubt anything came of it besides a quick mention in the news. To me, the creepiest thing is how any person can possibly find it in themselves to mercilessly target a boat full of refugees. Back in 2012, I was lucky enough to be a private in the army in Afghanistan. I won't bore you with details, 
but I meddled with the radios on a small team in a pretty remote area on a combat outpost. We conducted 24-hour operations, and one night, we got this very weird transmission. It came in pretty strong, and we couldn't determine from what direction it was coming in. However, what truly made it odd was what was being said. Now, I'm no linguist, but I know enough about different languages to know this wasn't Pashtun or Dari, or even English for that matter it was straight up Russian. This is when red flags start going up and we begin to make phone calls to our operations center and begin to wake people up. We had a recording device and managed to catch most of the broadcast before it stopped completely. We didn't have any Russian linguists with us. We had no idea what was going on. We sent a copy of the recording over the high side to get information translated. I knew one of the warrant officers in my unit was also a Russian linguist back in the Cold War era and had him have a listen as well. He was rusty but got the general gist of the message. It was a distress call asking for help, that their base was being overrun and being attacked. This was even more confusing as there hasn't been a Russian base in AF since their occupation. We schemed a lot over what caused it. He said maybe it was a pre-recorded beacon that may have just randomly gone off after all these years. Who knows? The only thing that bothered me with that explanation was that the whole thing didn't sound like pre-recorded audio. There was an obvious level of distress in their voice. However, there was no background noise to it. I was in the US Navy and worked in communications. I was a supervisor on my watch and enjoyed working the night tours while on deployment. We stood 12-hour watches from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Around 2 a.m., I hear some chatter over the 3MC, which is similar to our internal speaker system and is used to communicate between a few different stations on the ship. It's the bridge asking combat if they see anything on surface or air radar maybe 10 miles out to our west. Combat returns with a negative, and I don't think anything of it. About 15 minutes go by and the bridge asks again, are they sure there's nothing there? Then they ask us if we have any message traffic about any ships in the area, aircraft or anomalous weather patterns. I ask one of the guys on watch to perform the request, and now my interest is piqued. I walk out of the communication center and head up to the bridge. I was on a frigate, so the walk was quick, and I got up there and asked what was going on. One of my buddies points me over to the port side and we walk over. There are about 5 or 6 circular shaped lights about 10 to 15 miles out in the clouds, pretty large. They aren't moving or flying around, just looking stable. These lights are also casting light downward on the ocean, and you can see the light refracting back onto the water. From what we could see, it didn't appear to be lights shining up from the water because they wouldn't pass through the clouds. The clouds weren't super thick, it was lightly overcast, and it was the middle of the night with no other light pollution on the water. There was nothing in the message traffic about any ships, subs, or aircraft in the area. We were hundreds of miles from land and the last report of any unusual weather patterns was a water spout a few hundred miles away. We tried to take pictures with our onboard digital camera using a long exposure, but we couldn't capture the phenomenon. After about 90 minutes, the light slowly faded and then completely disappeared. I'm sure there was some sort of weather or atmospheric condition for what we saw, but for all intents and purposes, it fit the description of a UFO. Unidentified flying objects. I'm a former USCG officer. A ghost and some creepy stuff happened when we were removing the old Fresnel lens from the Prescott light in Michigan. Also, I've seen some weird, creepy lights in St. Elmo's fire near the old Wagashans light. Compasses and radios all quit, radar and GPS wouldn't work either. The light near Sturgeon Bay is haunted as well, and we stayed at the light near two rivers, and the whole family saw the ghost. There are several lighthouses in the Great Lakes that are open to active, reserve, and retired military members as vacation rentals. 
We stayed at Raleigh Point Lighthouse and Sherwood Point Lighthouse. They have visitor logs that are like diaries, and multiple stories are in there about the hauntings, dating back to the 70s. I know that Sherwood Point is haunted. Fort Carson, during Warhorse Strike 2015. It was the last day of a two-week field trip. We were all packed out and ready to go home but couldn't do so until the next day because our good friends in the Artie Battery lost a pair of sea-in-the-dark flavor MREs. Naturally, we were all out of dip-slash-smoke-slash-caffeine and from our location we could see our barracks near the helicopter field. One of our I'm retiring this year, F all of this E8 types who was fiending for some nicotine arranged a night patrol. We would do a nighttime tactical movement to gate 20 where we would secure a target of opportunity in the form of his wife slinging a few logs of his choice, some great value addition Red Bulls, and a couple cartons of bad Paul Malls or something equally cheap over the gate for us to recover and be back before sunrise. Off we marched, fueled by addiction and boredom. For those at Carson, I believe it was TA-7 along the road just beyond the north ridge of the impact zone running east-west. Now, this training area was our backyard. We did ruck marches and similar exercises here almost weekly at night, day and every time in between. We were not sleep deprived as we were just waiting for Artie to unmess their lives, and by all means, this should have been across the valley and get on the parallel trail kind of op. In the bed of this valley there is a stream. It was early fall, and the weather was largely dry. So sound carried and smell was dampened. The night was crystal clear with a slim waning crescent of a moon and pretty limited illumination, but hey we had lucky darkies on. The very moment we cross this stream, we are hit by the most repugnant smell. Not a skunk, or a wild unwashed animal but the kind of smell that is only associated with meat gone bad. It's not uncommon to find dead deer and the like out here, but we'd been training in the area all week. There was nothing here the entire time, and this is the kind of smell that you wouldn't have missed had you tried. As in, some advanced decomposition nonsense. We wanted our drugs. So we pushed on, writing it off as a dead animal. The forest surrounding the stream was about 200 meters across, only taking us a few minutes to pass through. Myself, being the other NCO in this party, was at the rear of the train to make sure nobody got lost in the dark. So, I've been followed before. I hunt and enjoy being alone. When you get that gut feeling that something is watching you, there is no logical explanation. The trees obscured our vision to the rest of the unit and I was at the rear of the party. When I look back, there are a pair of gleaming eyes in my night vision no more than 10 meters away. Unfortunately, we had no live ammo. Although I would not have wanted to explain. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Net to the O-types. It is equally unfortunate that we had places to be, so we could not investigate. Bet your ass. I hurried on out of there and scaled the other side of that valley. We also took the long way home so as to enjoy our spoils in relative privacy. Supernaturally, I can only think of what was rumored to be some haunted living quarters at Duke Airfield, an adjacent site to Eglin Air Force Base in West Florida and spending some time there on a sweet detachment to the Air Force's security during the early Iraq War. I was coming out of the bathroom in those living quarters on a break, I don't even say latrine anymore. Wow, it's been a long time, and saw this young woman who just looked like she was tired and disgruntled at something. The look on her face, the way her hair was a little bedraggled, the wrinkles on her clothing. I saw her go left, the same way I was going to head out. I turned the corner and didn't see her. I went outside and didn't see her. Couldn't have been 10 seconds behind her. I asked my Air Force counterpart and the patroller outside out of curiosity if he'd seen a tired looking female come out before me, and he said no, no one had. Admittedly, we weren't on the clock, we were parked in a living quarters parking lot, so my counterpart probably had his nose in something like his logbook or adjusting the radio to not have seen her. Still, that was one fast mover to leave the outside exit area before I could get eyes on her again. To this day, there's just a little bit of wonder left over that she actually was the ghost and vanished around the corner. I can't even recall hearing the front door open and close. Distance, probably. Realistically creepy, I worked early in response to the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. Between keeping seagulls off corpses washed up on beaches from capsized casinos, to working with cadaver dog teams, passing by miles of just driveways and cul-de-sac roads where houses and Walmarts used to be, I have too many stories, and often only enough resilience left to talk about one of them in detail every now and then. A buddy of mine was stationed at Kadena Air Force Base in Okinawa in the aughts. It was a regular day full of standard base activity, indoors and out, when the sirens went off, followed by a warning for all staff to report to the base's mess hall. My friend, and everyone else, was quite confused but followed orders. Upon arrival at the hall, they found it was full of the base's staff with a uniformed officer taking roles. The base commander settled everyone down and advised them that everyone was just taking a short break, that there was nothing to worry about, and that everyone would be back to work shortly. Everyone sat at the long lunch table scratching their heads and discussing what could be up. This particular room in the hall was interior and had no windows. Once the roll was completed and everyone accounted for, the commander left, and soldiers carrying automatic rifles closed the doors to the hall and stood inside them at attention, essentially barring anyone from leaving. This raised the chatter quite a bit, but nobody panicked. Only a couple of minutes later, an incredibly loud engine sound can be heard approaching the base. As whatever is making the noise lands, it shakes the entire island. Framed photos fall off the wall, and trophies in glass cases are shaken over. The engine hums and shakes, then ceases. Chatter again rises sharply, as speculation about what the hell's going on increases. After about an hour, the noise starts up, and the island shakes again as whatever it is takes off and quickly fades away. Shortly after, the base commander enters and says everyone can get back to work, warning them not to discuss today's break and to simply forget about it. When I asked him what he thought it was, 
he immediately suggested that it was some kind of classified skunk work spy plane, maybe the Aurora, needing to land for emergency repairs or refueling. Of course, he said, since they kept us all from seeing it, I'll never truly know. So I'm currently stationed on an aircraft carrier, which was commissioned in 77. There is never a lack of creepiness about that thing at night. I work security on it at night, and we rotate from nights to days every so often. I remember one night my buddy was heading up to the flight deck with a rifle from where our armory is, first deck, up to the flight deck, fourth level, which is a five-story difference. It's a lot of distance to travel alone at night. So he gets to a certain part of the boat that is almost pitch black, one state away from the flight deck, and he hears these footsteps behind him. He looks back and no one is there. So he picks up the pace, and as he does, he hears the same footsteps. He looks back, and this time he sees a dark figure about 30 feet behind him. At this point, his fuck that switch turns on and he starts briskly jogging. He then hears the footsteps pick up the pace and run after him. He dead sprints up the last flight of stairs up to the flight deck, and hustles over to where we are on the front of the ship. He's white as a ghost and tells us what happens. We will stay away from that area of the ship now. Other than that, down on the seventh deck of the ship, second to last deck before you hit the hull, there are munitions storage areas, basically where we keep our bombs for planes. Well. Back in the day, a little girl fell down one of the ladder wells, which is legit a six-story drop to the bottom. She ended up dying. There are chains and various other items that can be moved, and they say at night, if you're not paying attention, zoning out, she'll come by and rattle the chains hanging from the ceiling and move things. In the fantail, which is an area that is outside the ship that looks over the water on the back of the ship, there are multiple ghosts that mess with two lookouts that stand watch out there. One of the ghosts is of a little girl. You'll hear her giggling, then a bouncy ball bouncing on the deck out there, then a splash in the water. There is also a ghost that will come to you as you are nodding off on the watch. He'll be in his dress uniform, he'll tap you on the shoulder and say don't report this, then he'll jump into the water. Other than that, there is always a constant feeling of being watched at night if you are alone in certain areas. The only other story I have is the time I played with an Ouija board, but that's a long story. I was in Iraq in 06 and my month was up to rotate to the FOB for guard duty. We used it as a break from patrolling the city we were in. The place was called Baharia and it was a massive compound that Saddam's sons used to rape and torture women. Supposedly, we never actually looked it up. The guard tower was two stories high and you had to use a metal spiral staircase to get up to the second floor. One night, about halfway through our post, my buddy and I are passing the time by BS when we hear someone sprinting up the stairs in full gear. It was loud. We quickly grab our helmets and put them on while I flick my cigarette out. We wait. And wait. Slowly, I turn around to look at the stairs and grab my sure fire and saw. No one is there. I tell my buddy I'm going to go look and make sure the cog isn't lying in wait. I make my way down the stairs to the entrance of the tower and use my sure fire to look down the road in front of me and to my right. No one is there. No truck snuck up on us and no gator vehicle was outside. The walls on both sides of the road leading to our tower were 20 feet high and had broken bottles at the top, so we knew no one climbed over. Tower 5 was also at the corner of a compound that was miles long on each side. I went back upstairs and told him I didn't see anyone. He didn't believe it and checked himself. When he came back up, his face turned white and we sat in silence the rest of our shift. We always traded when we could to not go back up there. While serving in the US Army and Germany in the 80s, my job was to guard the border and do patrols at night. One night, we came upon a balloon flying through the sky from the east. 
This was a no-fly zone and seeing this balloon freaked myself and my sergeant out. Later on, we found out that it was defectors from East Germany and their families flying in the balloon, and they landed safely about 4 miles from us. Although I never got to see the family, I later found they had tried once before and failed. Freedom at all costs. I still have chills from seeing that thing blasting the gas nozzles to lift it along. It turned out to be a huge event, and the balloon caught fire and almost crashed. It was shocking to see that thing coming across the border and wonder what it was. I have a buddy who told me a story that he probably made up, but it makes a great ghost story nonetheless. I'll recall the story to the best of my ability, but I will not be able to do his story justice since I haven't heard the story in a few years. This is all classified according to him. He was stationed at a base in the Middle East somewhere. The base was surrounded by a wall that had guard posts at various locations around the wall and one or two other locations that soldiers would keep post, including barracks. There was also a big abandoned warehouse on the base that was not being used. It had huge heavy doors that opened outward from the middle, which were always closed. Soldiers had to walk past this warehouse when switching posts. Well, one night when my buddy was in his barracks, gunshots went off. Everyone rushed to get geared up and figure out what was going on. Once they figured out that the gunshots came from inside the base, they went to the location of the shots. Two soldiers were posted up, guns pointed to the old warehouse, and they were freaked out. One of the doors to the warehouse was pushed slightly open. They yelled at the two soldiers to come see what the F was going on, but the guys didn't budge. They said that something big and black had just ran into that warehouse. Once they calmed the two guys down, they did a sweep of the warehouse and found nothing. It took two soldiers to push the door shut again. The next night, there was screaming coming from inside the warehouse. They did a sweep. Nothing. The next night, more screams. On the third night, another group of soldiers shifting locations opened fire. They basically had the same story as the first group. They said it was fast as F and basically moved faster than they could aim and shoot. Again, the door was pushed open. It took two guys to close it. After this went on for a while, and the soldiers were found mentally healthy, a bigger investigation was set up. They pointed some special cameras at the entrance to the warehouse, set up some guys outside, and waited for something to happen. Well, one night, the door was pushed open on camera, and there was basically a demon that stepped out and started screaming bloody murder. The guards opened fire, and the thing sprinted faster than humanly possible back inside the warehouse. Both doors were flung open and the thing just screamed. More soldiers came and did a sweep. Nothing. Around this time, the soldiers at the base started to piece a few things together. They had always known that a village near the base has a curfew, and no one stays out of their houses past nightfall. So some went to investigate why. And long story short, the villagers told them that there was a god of death in the area and they dared not stay out past nightfall. At around the time they learned this, a special team came in with more equipment. Some bigger guns were sent in, including my buddy with special recording equipment. They dragged the big double doors open and set up inside the warehouse. It was pitch black, but they could see with their equipment. They set it up so two guys sat facing each other, making a square of four guys total. About four hours went by without anything happening. Then, the guy across from my buddy started making a hand signal. He was signaling that something was behind my friend. The guy to the right of my buddy was dozing off and the other soldier across from my buddy was perfectly still. My buddy did a 180 from his chair to a crouched position, giving room for him and the guy across from him to open fire. He said when he turned around he just saw this humanoid demon, around 9 feet tall, with piercing eyes, and menacing as possible. When he opened fire, the thing was so fast it basically teleported to the side and up the wall until it was on the ceiling. They continued to open fire, 
but the thing was fast and kept appearing behind each of the soldiers, endangering them. Eventually, the soldiers got the equipment and abandoned the building. Their cameras apparently captured everything. My friend was debriefed and told to never speak of it again, and the building was demolished. The villagers related the demon to an old mass grave near the base, which, after the events above, was dug up, and everyone was given a proper burial. I without a doubt did not recall everything correctly, his version had way more detail. The way my buddy tells this story is so convincing and detailed that it's hard not to believe him, but the story is so incredible that it's very hard to believe at the same time. I wish I could get him to type it out for y'all because it's simply amazing. I was in the Navy from 2001 to 2006. I saw some messed up things, but this one took the cake. I was stationed in Norfolk, Virginia, and at my squadron our supply officer, Sup O, was this really nice guy. A bit of a nerd type, but overall really chill and down to earth. He always went out of his way to help people and would also give us extra gear if we asked. I'd even been to his house a few times for cookouts and just to hang out. He would, however, take a lot of time off and would frequently leave early on Fridays. Around this same time, 2004 or 2005, the local PD had a crazy investigation on their hands. Suitcases full of human body parts were either washing ashore or being found on the side of the road. Nobody could figure out who was doing it or why. I mention this because a few weeks went by and an all-squadron email went out saying the suppo's wife had gone missing and if any of us had seen her or heard anything about her whereabouts to report it immediately. Of course, nobody comes forward with any information because nobody knew he was married. I've been to his house and never saw any photos of him with his wife. To me, it seemed like a typical bachelor pad. Anyway, a week goes by and police search teams find a body in the woods, and it's confirmed to be her. It's all over the news that they found her, and when they interview him, he's stone-faced. Like zero emotion at all. After a lengthy investigation, he confesses to killing her and dumping her body in the woods. He also confessed to putting one of the suitcases of body parts on the road but not any of the others. This shook me up because I felt like I knew the guy pretty well. We joked around a lot at work and he just seemed like such a normal guy. My grandfather was a pilot in the Turkish Air Force many years ago, and as part of NATO, they sent him to Canada to attend the Air Force Academy. Just to give you some context, he is a very uptight and serious person. Often, the reason being a soldier comes into play. He is the reason why I know a lot of astrophysics. He guided me to science and facts his entire life. Anyway, he told me he and the rest of the school, including the flight instructors, witnessed an UFO hovering above the main building. He said it came so close to the ground that it was basically impossible to not notice it. Then, just as people are perplexed, a UFO shoots straight up almost instantly, generating g-forces that would easily kill a human being. I never saw a UFO with my own eyes. Every object I have ever seen in the sky had an easy explanation. Some took longer to realize, but now it comes to me very naturally. I'm a little skeptic about the whole alien visiting Earth thing, but science says it is not impossible. Fermi's paradox can be easily solved. Edit, I just talked with my mother, he is also my mother's father. She gave me some more details I couldn't remember. It was during the winter of 1958 to 1959 and after the meal. My grandfather didn't like to talk about these things in general. I pushed him harder and he spilled some more details, but I forgot some of the details. Thanks mom. I have to preface this to give context, and I'm tired and on my phone, so this may be messy and kind of long, so I apologize. At the time, I was working nights in the munitions storage area, which is fenced off with barbed wire. 
The whole area is pretty spread out, with multiple buildings and definitely large enough that you generally drive around to get to other buildings. Due to the nature of the job, the buildings are spread out with clear space between them. Anyways, the only people in the bomb dump on this night are the roughly eight or so of us in my shop and the one guy in control that night. He was in another building, and we had a direct line to him on what we called the bat phone, relevant later. This is summer in SC, and about 2 or 3 AM, so the air was warm and very still. No breeze at all, and we had the break room door open while we watched a movie, we were on flight line support standby, and nothing was going on. The rumor was that the small building we worked out of had been built by German POWs during the war, and I know for a fact that there were some there back then. It was small, with a main break room, a small dispatch office through a doorway, and a couple of offices off of that one. There were two doors, one in the break room and one on the same side of the building in the dispatch office, roughly 20 to 30 feet away from each other. Both had push bars on the inside, but only the break room door could be opened from the outside, as the dispatch door's external latch was busted, and only the internal bar worked. Well, all of us, minus the guy locked down in the control building, for security, are in the break room when suddenly, ka thunk, loud from the dispatch door in the next room. It was like someone was rushing through, slammed the push bar, and the door swung open, then swung back shut after a couple seconds with a slam. We all look at each other like WTF? And start to check it out. We had mag lights in our crew books, so a few guys grab them and sweep around the building from both directions. Another guy calls the controller on the bat phone, who picked up and denied that he was messing with us. There was no way he could have messed with us and made it back to his phone in time, let alone do it without being seen or heard. Anyone with experience knows how it sounds at 3 AM in the SC summer. You could hear the beeps from code keys being pressed hundreds of yards away. No joke. No way he hoofed it back to his building anywhere near fast enough, went through the halls, punched in his code, and got to the phone in time. But the stuff that got me was that damned bar. The door simply did not open from the outside, and we all heard that bar get pushed in hard, the door swing open, hang there for a couple seconds, then shut. And there was absolutely no breeze, and had there been, it would have blown past us sitting in front of the only other door. It's extremely strange. As an aside, there would be random times that I would go to pick up a trailer or something behind one of the other shops at the far end of the bomb dump, and as soon as I stepped out of my truck to do my inventory, I would get a super bad vibe. I'm talking the heebie-jeebies like no other, and as best I can describe it, it felt like something was right above and behind me, and just hated me being there. It was just seething anger, rage, and hate, and it wouldn't go away until about 15 minutes after driving away from that building. One night, another driver who had arrived there shortly before I had for a trailer asked if I had a weird feeling there, which sure I had, so I know at least once someone else corroborated it. All of this happened at mid-shift, which was 11 AM. I heard a few other people's stories about weird stuff that would happen at night, but since they aren't my stories, I can't vouch for their veracity. The only other thing that happened to me there was that I swear I saw the clear silhouette of a guy walking in an open field between igloos. As I turned to punch my gate coat in, in the corner of my eye I distinctly caught the motion of two legs and an arm sticking out, like someone in mid-stride. When I turned back, it was just an empty field. That one could have just been my mind playing a trick, but man, that place could. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Be creepy. 
It's been damn near 15 years, but still gives me chills to think about it. In 1994 or 1995, me and three friends were outside playing. We were all 10 or 11 at most, and it was dusk outside. We were horse playing, and two of my friends both fell to the ground at the same time. The looks on their faces were of complete awe. The only time I have ever seen such a look is the only reason I understand why such a word even exists. Immediately, my friend and I both look up to the sky to see what they see. An absolutely gigantic metal triangle is above us. This thing is so huge, it blocks out the night sky. It takes up our whole frame of the night sky. Either this thing is really close to us, just above the trees and houses, or it is thousands of feet above us. It's so massive, you can't tell. There is no sound whatsoever. There is a bluish hue to the metal, and it looks like either the borders and edges protrude downward or the middle of the craft protrudes upward. The craft was headed towards the west. As fast as we could shift our focus, that's as fast as this craft could move. It was above us, then it was a speck over Canada, and then it was gone. As fast as my eyes could shift from looking above me to looking over the horizon, that was as fast as it moved. It was in two spots in the sky, but you did not see it move from one spot to the other. It was moving far too fast to actually see it move. I was at the Hollywood Bowl one evening for a piano concert. This place is like an outdoor concert venue where you can see the open sky. At some point during the concert, I looked directly up to look at the stars, and I happened to see a zigzagging UFO. It looked like a bright tiny dot just flying super fast in an unpredictable pattern. Then all of a sudden, it flew away, like it receded from the earth, and disappeared quickly. I looked up again some time later and saw another dot flying straight, but then it made a quick right angle turn and disappeared. This was my first experience of something like this. I doubt anyone else saw it since there wasn't any commotion from the crowd and it happened very quickly. My dad swears up and down that he saw something blip on the radar while at sea in a way that meant it was traveling at ridiculous speeds. He was an anti-air-slash-missile guy in the US Navy back in the 70s and early 80s. Not paranormal, but he also told me about how when they came into port in, I think it was Romania, the KGB types would try to act like civvies and ask them things like how much money the sailors made and such. Of course, my dad told them he owned like five sports cars back home, made six figures, and that the missiles on his ship could accurately hit targets well beyond their actual range. This happened during a rotation at the National Training Center sometime in 2015. A battle was occurring at night. A light appeared in the sky, and for 10 minutes or so, there was silence. This may not seem too interesting until you look at the numbers and statistics. You're looking at massive amounts of people and equipment during a rotation, constant radio chatter, vehicle noise, people talking, etc., and suddenly just nothing. Then the light seemed to make a couple of strange turns, one being around 90 degrees, and split and disappear. One time, at an Air Force base in the Rock, we had a power outage at night. All of us walked out of our hangar doors to take a look at what the problem may have been, and we saw a very, very large triangular shape passing over our hangar. It was a clear moonless night previously, and when we went outside to look around, we noticed the starscape being covered then slowly uncovered. There was no sound associated with the event other than the normal sounds of the location. I'll never forget. When I was deployed, we worked out of this ancient dock from the Vietnam era. I worked at a graveyard, so there were never any people there at night except mission essential for any missions we were running. 
we would randomly hear footsteps walking down the small hallway that was a dead end. Our door was the last one before the little bit that was the dead end. No one ever walked past our door, but there were always footsteps. One night, there were wet footprints down there, and it wasn't even raining outside. I wish I could remember the specifics of this story, but I'll try to recount it as best I can. My grandfather was in the British military. He was charged with leading soldiers through a wooded area. I don't recall his rank or where he was serving at that time. A course was plotted and they moved on during the night. Suddenly, a glowing hand appeared before my grandfather's face, as if to say stop. He was so disturbed by what he witnessed that he took it as a sign to redirect his crew on a different path. That night, another group of soldiers on their original path came under enemy fire, but my grandfather's crew was safe. To this day, he strongly believes he witnessed the hand of God. He has never been excessively religious, does not attend church, and has never experienced anything like that before or since. I must try to get more details on this story. So I'll paint a picture moonless night at a cop at the bottom of a valley in Afghanistan, so it's absolutely pitch black. I'm sitting in one of four towers doing my two-hour rotation when all of a sudden I hear this blood-curdling scream that keeps coming and going. So the first thing I do is pick up my radio and ask if anyone else hears it. We all do and everyone is freaking out, including the SOG. We all think somebody is dying right outside our wire and nobody can see anything moving. After about 15 minutes of this, one of the Afghan interpreters comes out and screams, it's a cat in heat, you idiots. Nobody on guard had ever owned a cat. During Desert Storm, my father was in Saudi Arabia. He worked in a fairly tall building, like five to six stories, and was one of the tallest ones there. Well, they'd get bored and go to the roof and throw water balloons at people. They were told not to buy some higher-ups, but my dad was the commander of the unit, and they did it anyway, as the unit commander before him did. One day, they got a package in the mail. In it were pics of them on the roof, with targets and marker drawn on them. They never found out where or who they came from. They still went up to the roof but only threw water balloons at night. US Air Force here. Not allowed to say what I do, but my frame flew in Vietnam and carried dead bodies back and after Vietnam it was repurposed. All of the older frames from that era are supposedly haunted from dead soldiers. I've spent mid-shift, midnight 7am, on these frames and I've heard people scream out in pain, I've asked for a tool and had someone hand it to me, and then turn around and they were gone, multiple times you'll hear someone's name being called. I don't believe in ghosts but those frames creep me out. 